Soccer Pod. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com. I am joined by Ryan O'Hanlon. Ryan, say hi. Hi. What's up, man? Uh, we are uh, recording this on a Wednesday. It's probably go up on Thursday. We are just hours away. We were just hours past. Um, a very significant defeat for Arsenal uh, and in the Champions League and a very significant defeat for Barcelona on Tuesday. So we kind of wanted to talk about the Champions League by way of talking about Arsenal and Barcelona. Um, the fall of London, part 17. <laughs> yeah. Fall of Barcelona, part one. Yeah. Um, well, so those, these two teams have had a lot in common over the years. They've, you know, they, of course, they, I think it was 2005 or six. they had the incredible Champions League, Champions League final over mm-hmm. Saul Campbell. Got red card in 2006. Arsenal. 2006. And, and Arsenal lost. Um, God, that was a great Champions League. That was the one where Arsenal beat Villarreal with Raquel May, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know they've played against one another uh, multiple times over the last few years. Very some famous in slash infamous matches, including Robin Van Persie getting tossed for delay of game, which was one of my all time mm-hmm. favorite "What the hell is happening?" moments. But uh, these teams both, you know, coming into the Champions League, with a lot to prove. Arsenal's in second. Uh, sorry, Barcelona's in second. Uh, two games. Real Madrid has two games in hand. Barcelona is behind them in second place, and not, not a lot of people seem to think that they're going to catch Real Madrid. Um, Arsenal pretty much ended their what was really only like a little small title hope yeah. against uh, Chelsea over the weekend. And I think both teams were looking for redemption in the Champions League. Both teams had challenges, but you know some say this is a weaker Bayern Munich team. PSG has repeatedly kind of tripped up in the Champions League, so. The chance for redemption was there, mm-hmm. and these teams basically got knocked out in the first round of their ties, their, their, in the first leg of their ties. Uh, but what we wanted to talk about was this idea of team identity. I'm gonna let Ryan speak in a second. I'm not trying to be like Joe Rogan here for you know. I'm sorry. My, but, does that make me Alex Jones? <laughs> you are. You're the informers. <laughs> what we wanted to talk about was this idea of identity because this is like a very important idea to both clubs. And in one hand, for Arsenal. That identity has been, for the most part, for, for basically all of our soccer watching our lives, right? It's been defined by Arsene Wenger. Yeah. And I think if you had to put a bet down now, this is probably going to be Wenger's last season. Yeah. I, I mean, the league is, they're not going to win the league. I mean, they might not finish in the top four. I don't, I don't think they will. I mean, they're currently in it, but nothing we saw today suggests that they have the potential to compete with the best teams in the Premier League yeah. or nothing that they've shown. Um, and, you know, there's been Ian Wright, I think last week, said that he thought after a conversation with Wenger that he was going to call it quits after this season. Wenger's um, out of contract at the end of the season. There mm-hmm. was talk earlier in the season that he was going to sign a two-year deal to stay with the club. And during this sort of there was a couple weeks there where the Mesut Ozil and Alexis Sanchez's contracts, mm-hmm. they're both winding down. Yeah. And they were talking about doing extensions. And at least Ozil said that him re-signing with Arsenal was dependent on Wenger. So it kind of felt like there was a degree of momentum behind Wenger staying. And uh, that's completely dissolved over the last couple of weeks. And mm-hmm. especially uh, in Wenger's press conference after the Bayern Munich game, it only lasted two minutes and 55 seconds or something, mm-hmm. which is apparently not like Wenger at all, who's relatively affable with the media. And he said that the team mentally collapsed 
against Bayern Munich. And you could definitely see that. I mean, look, you come out of there with like you lose two one, even three one, you can you can have like hopes that if you turn on the Jets, you could tie up the you know, tie things up at home. And instead, five one, you might as well send a youth team out there. It's done. And I mean it's you know, it's it's we've sort of we basically have seen this every year in yeah. a lot of ways. They've lost the away leg in the round of 16, I think, by two goals every year for the past half decade, if not more. Um, but it's just, you know, I I get... Bar- Bayern Munich is just a better team than Arsenal. Yeah. Like, look at the players that are on the field. The players on Bayern... The players on Bayern's bench would all start for Arsenal, obviously. Um, but, like, they're not this... They shouldn't be this much better. They're, well, it doesn't even... This is... a this is the part that makes this sport interesting is yeah. that sure they're better yeah. and we have seen over the years with the amount of money that's poured into the game that there is still chances for um, you know Atletico Madrid's and Leicester's mm-hmm. and and Borussia Dortmund's and teams that might be undermanned to or or where the talent hasn't quite evolved to do something against quote unquote better teams more talented teams yeah. the thing that you will see if you watch this game if you haven't seen it already if you watch the highlights or if you watch a replay of it is that Arsenal looked like they had no business being in the gym like mm-hmm. they look flat footed bored slow and frankly I don't even know what their plan was because at first it seemed like they had immediately gone into siege mentality yeah. like they were all backing up and then Robin does exactly what any any defensive like report about what to do against Robin tells you that he is going to go in on his on his foot, uh, go in, cut inside, and then and then let one go, and he just does it. Well, that's the thing. It's like <clears throat> Robin could he could conceivably dribble by you also on the outside. Sure, and then, but on that goal, there's six Arsenal players around him, and there should be at least one Arsenal guy cutting off his channel to the inside and forcing him to these other defenders, and they're all just standing there watching him cut it in and it's like three touches to calibrate like the shot that he's that's the that's his shot that's what he does and that is that preparation is that that the player's mental failing i mean it's happened enough times that it's like feels like it's a preparation thing i think that wenger probably creates a environment that is like enjoyable to work in and i think that he has really a wonderful idea of what how the game should be played. Yeah. But I can't remember the last time since that game where out of necessity he played basically two defensive midfielders against Man City. It was like two yeah. seasons. It was like basically the first real big Cockland game. It's 2015. And I was just like, oh, that was like a what a great I like what a great move by Wenger. And we you know we have Jordan Morris from the USMNT and Seattle Sanders Sounders on this show later on. And we asked him a bunch of questions about like what do managers actually do to change the games? What do managers and he kind of alludes to the idea that a lot of it happens in preparation. Mm-hmm. A lot of it happens in the training and that on the game day it's really up to the players. So in that sense, the fact that all those guys looked like were they had no chance of beating this team, much less drawing them or keeping it close, that's on them. But the fact that he never really says, like, this is the thing we're going to do. I'm going to find the weakness in Bayern Munich, and I'm going to exploit it. We're going to go after this fullback. We're going we're gonna to set up a defensive wall. I'm going to play, like, five center backs. So just, like, do something different. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, it's <clears throat> you brought up Atletico Madrid, and it's like you watch them play. They, I mean, some of their players are incredible, but like they're they're not as talented as the other, these other teams. But there's always a plan to frustrate yeah. whatever specific team they're playing, and 
it's just like Arsenal's ethos is still like at its core like I want my players to enjoy their football like that's the quote and that is fine when you're playing against like Rosenborg from Norway or Hull in the Premier League Mm -hmm. but like when you're playing a team that can play on the ground better than you and is more athletic and has better players you have to change the way you play and i don't know what the number is exactly but it's over they've gone more than 20 games against the premier league top six like away games without a win yeah and that's just like that's not a coincidence at this point it's like against a good a great team on the road, they have no fucking clue what right. they're doing. And it's like, if you're not going to go after Bayern Munich like Terriers, which that, that's your decision not to, if you don't want to like press the hell out of them and hound them down, if you think you're going to get picked apart, that's fine. But then you're like, you basically have to have immaculate organization and defend in blocks of four. Like, I'm, and I'm not even a tactical genius. I'm just saying like, I could recognize that the lines that they were making were awful. They were getting outplayed by for balls in the box. There's a couple of goals in the end there where Arturo Vidal basically held off like four Arsenal to bet players to to set up Alcantara. It was just absurd. And I, I what I don't understand is when you are a team that's like you, you are they have a good shot at making fourth. Like there yeah. should not be anything on their horizon. There should not be anything that's like what are you what else are you doing? Play your ass off. Yeah, it's like you're not <laughs> a team of Arsenal's like quality shouldn't lose a game like this. Yeah. By four goals. You know what I mean? Like it just it you can sort of limit a game enough for that not to happen, if that makes any sense. But it's like there was no strategy. It's like Bayern had over what 75% possession something insane they completed like 500 more passes than Arsenal at like a 90% clip so Arsenal and they created a ton of great chances but that to me just so like that sounds like Arsenal's not trying yeah there's a world where you give up a ton of possession but you limit the good chances or there's a world where you allow a lot of passes but you also break up a ton of passes because you're pressing the hell out of the other team and they didn't do any of that it was just that we're just on the field basically so the idea is what i'm talking about here is this idea where here's here's my basic like my premise okay is that um they move out of highbury they move into emirates Kroenke buys the team there's a lot of discussion around like infusions of money whether or not Kroenke is really financially committed to Arsenal I think they made some really good buys but they're usually like the guy at the who's not getting regularly into no Alexis Sanchez wasn't regularly getting into the Barcelona side Ozil was having troubles maintaining his place space in Real Madrid they were really smart buys that's they were like if they were going to do it this year it would be like buying James or something like that Mm -hmm. but what happens is they've got these guys it's a good team it's definitely like a really good team but the identity of the club is still Wenger. It's yeah. always been it's been Wenger for 20 years. The everybody who identifies themselves as Arsenal fans that I know does it in relationship to whether they want Wenger to stay or leave, but the reason they probably love Arsenal, especially for people of our age group, is because of him and because of the soccer that he had them play. Yeah. So I understand why moving on from him is very difficult. I don't know if Arsenal managed by Diego Simeone next year or Thomas Tuchel next year is the same it feels the same, but that is something you got to get used. To. You got to come to grips with that because otherwise, you're. Lo- it's 
it, you're looking at like fading away. Yeah, and it's you mentioned identity at the beginning of this, and their issue it seems is they're trying to cling to an identity that doesn't really have a place in soccer today, but also doesn't have like it's a premise of an identity backed without any execution of that identity. If that makes any sense, yeah. it's like you want to play good soccer. And like you bring in players that can do that, and, and it's stubborn it because you can see over and over and over again whether it's him saying well, I could have bought Angola Conte years yeah. ago, or I could have had Drogba, or we're, we're, the, there's no value in this market, or our goalkeeping situation is fine, or we don't need a central defensive midfielder, or whatever it is. It's like I don't see a ton of kids other than a Wobi coming through. I don't see a lot of. I, I don't. I'm flabbergasted as to why Ospina's playing over Czech. I mean, it's like, yeah. I, I guess is Ospina like a better shot stopper? I, what was the logic behind that? He just gets the the European competition. Yeah, I think that's that's the situation. So I don't know. Keep I mean, I, I just I, I I have a feeling what will happen is they'll go out of the Champions League and then they will comfortably become like land in the top four out of like that. Just seems like what happens. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that if you're Arsenal, you have to really, really seriously consider moving on. And I think, you know, there are these cycles where certain managers are available and certain man, you know, I and I don't know who would fall into the acceptable for Arsenal fans. Like I don't I don't know if trying to entice Ancelotti or, you know, something like that or, or the, th- the thing the I wonder... The Napoli manager, or do you want to go out and try and get an Allegri from Juventus? Is he at Juventus now? Yeah. Yeah. Um the thing though that is hard about this is that like the Premier League is great right now. It's so good, the top six teams. And it's not, no matter how good you are as a manager, it's not easy in your first season. And Arsenal, does Arsenal have the kind of players to make a Diego Simeone system work? Can you picture him doing that with Arsenal in his first year? So it's like, I wonder, it's sort of the question. We've seen it. It happened at Man U, it happened at Liverpool. Um, like there is a chance that they like there's a big drop off in their first year without Wenger as crazy as it sounds like that we're saying they need to move on but in so far as moving on you might have to accept some regression um, yeah I think you would have to basically you'd have to accept taking a couple steps back to take a step forward but I wonder if you take those steps back to the other teams and just consolidate themselves above you. It's a really big club. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I would true. like to. I, I would like to think. I, I personally really enjoy Arsenal. Like yeah. I like the, the the team, and I I I root for them. I wish that like something like this would happen. But um, you know, I'm obviously like a Liverpool fan, but like I just I've always enjoyed them. Yeah. And um, I don't know. So we're talking about Arsenal's identity being wrapped up in this manager. Barcelona only lost four nothing to PSG in Paris on Tuesday. And it was, um, if the scoreline wasn't bad enough, the if you read the Sid Lowe piece in The Guardian, it's pretty much a, uh, an obituary. So you've got Busquets basically saying, like, the manager sent us out there to lose. Not, he didn't, that's, that's not an exact quote, but he was more or less saying that the problem with the performance was tactics. Yeah, which is the manager decides. There's a particular, there's a specific messy situation, like play where he loses the ball and instead of tracking back or counter, you know, going after it to press back, he just kind of stands there and is just like shit. And the, and I think PSG scores on a counter on that play. Mm-hmm. Um, Iniesta, one of the most beautiful players I've ever seen in my life, getting a little older. Uh, the identity of the team has always been this 
um, ideal version of possession unified team football that relies on short passing and that is like a you know an extension of total football from the Dutch and is tiki taka and like going back and it obviously peaked with Guardiola. They were freaking incredible a couple years ago when they won the treble. Um, I mean, they were great last year, yeah, too. Yeah, they were great last year. So it's hard because it's like, unlike Arsenal, where you can like say, like, well, there's a lot of dust on the last Premier, Premier League trophy. Barcelona was amazing as of last year, but things happened really fast there. And it does sound like Enrique's out soon. Um, and it's this interesting thing where a team has to play up to its own standards and its own self created identity. And yeah. obviously, despite having three of the like, four best attacking players in the world on their yeah. front line, that's not happening for Barcelona right now. Yeah, I think the like this ideal for how the team should play runs like super, super deep throughout like the institutions of the city yeah, and right. like the p- politics right. and the philosophy and the morality of the city. And it's like they. A couple years ago, you know, they got blown off the field against Real Madrid, um, and they were kind of wandering. I mean, wandering meaning they're finishing in second and, you know, making it to the final eight in the Champions League every year, but not doing what a team like they are mm-hmm. supposed to. And then they bring Luis Enrique in, and he changed the way they played. He realized, hey, we have Messi, Suarez, and Neymar. They can basically attack on their own. So do we need to, like, possess the ball the entire game? Like, why don't we defend, like, a little more conservatively and then get the ball up to them as quickly as we can, and they're just going to—they're going to score. Like, that's—it's simple, but it's like, that makes sense. But it—I think a lot of people in Barcelona were, like, upset that he played that way and begrudgingly accepted that that turned them into the best team in the world. Well, I think also even—it's— what 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 I guess what I'm saying is that the team that won two years ago, that's like arguably the best team I've ever seen. Yeah. Because they could play so many different ways and they were just never vulnerable, like in a way that the other Barcelona teams sometimes felt. Right. But Luis Enrique changing the system, he basically had to keep winning at that clip to make people okay right. with the way he was playing. And that's why I think you see so much turnover in the Madrid and Barca jobs is because that's so unsustainable. The idea of somebody being the Barcelona manager for 15 or 20 years is unfathomable, not just because personality is combustible, but because you just it's really, really difficult to sustain being in line for a treble every season. And the messy thing really throws off the 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 balance. You're talking yeah. about the best player ever, I think. Mm-hmm. So I agree. So you're 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 starting at the '96 Bulls. It's hard to accept like anything other than that if you've got that going. And you know, I I've read things that have suggested that even the presence of Neymar and Suarez along with Messi is in and of itself a betrayal of Barcelona ideals. Now, even though it's not like Sam- Samuel Eto'o or um, Thierry Henry came cheap, you yeah. know, or Ronaldinho, Ronaldinho <laughs> was cheap, but this idea that um, your Pedro's, your, uh, you know, the, 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 the production line, the Boyan, who, you know, is not good, but yeah. was supposed to be, comes from Lamiza, he goes up to the senior team, he's the next X, you know? Mm-hmm. That just doesn't seem to be happening there anymore. Yeah, and it's that's that's the thing. It's like the 
they were you know maintaining this level of success in the face of going away from their principles or whatever but the team itself like as a whole like it's not a totally healthy situation cuz a number of their best players Messi, Suarez, PK, Iniesta, Busquets they're all going to be 30 or older mm-hmm. next season and you look at that team and it's like who like who is there who's right. stepping into that void obviously Neymar and we've seen him have to be messy for that team at times when Messi's been out and he's basically stepped up to the challenge most of the time so you have that which you know is great but who like where is the next generation coming from you're right like there's no who's the last Barcelona youth product that like has done anything Sergio Roberto is like an occasionally decent outside back and that's that's it it's like that that farm system is it doesn't seem like it's there. In and the, the farm system isn't just an economic thing. It's an identity thing. Yeah. That is something that the people who, who truly love and cheer for Barcelona believe in with their whole heart. And it's been something that I think has been interesting to watch that succeed or fail in various other clubs because when Barcelona under Guardiola was so successful, I think you saw a lot of play. And this is something Ferguson did. I mean, people have good like sense of, sense of bringing youth along. But... That became something. Oh, we have to have a self. A, a, we have to be self sustainable. We have to yeah. have a great academy that produces our own stars, so we don't have to pay out the nose for other ones. And that just rarely happens. I mean, yeah. like that's just. It's just easier to buy a known quantity than it is to hope a nineteen-year-old or a twenty-year-old can stand up under the pressures of the game. And yeah. I get that, but that was so ingrained in what Barcelona was, and frankly, what Arsenal was. You know, I mean, that was one of the things that Wenger was so good at was bringing along talent, and I think that. I wonder whether or not he had part of it is like they a lot of the times those guys got bought. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. they got bought by Barcelona. Yeah. Um, or Manchester United or whoever. I don't know. It's it's a very interesting question because you're seeing it also when a team has an identity, even if it's just like a playing style, like a Tottenham or a Liverpool, mm-hmm. it's like, can you guys sustain this playing style and still be successful? There's yeah. something to the way the evenness of the way like Ancelotti manages a team and the way he sets out a team and even though people may nitpick about it not being like 27th century football like mm-hmm. Guardiola was it's like it looked pretty good today yeah you know yeah and it's just that's why it's such a you know it's still Barcelona and they're still going to be in the Champions League every week, every year and near the top of La Liga but it, it it is it does like in some ways to me it feels like the sport of soccer is evolving in a way that the ideal of how Barcelona wants to play is like almost a way that if you are totally obsessive about it keep you from being successful a successful team in 2017 well it's just like it you know it prizes how you keep the ball and how you move it and playing soccer that's pleasing on the eye and you, you know you're not defending ever you're defending because you're possessing the ball and it's like a thousand um, cuts you're just going and it's like yeah. the fans like I've been to a couple Barcelona games and the fans lose their mind when they make 20 passes in a row as much as they do when they score and like that is getting blown up in a lot of ways by like the higher intensity way that a lot of managers are playing. And that emphasizes volume of shots and quality of shots. Yeah, and then pressing the hell out of your opponents. Right, and getting the um, ball in advantageous positions where the def- the defense is and like out of whack. The thing is when you're playing a press, 
the passing helps you get through it. But then once you get through it, you need to attack the vulnerability in the system rather than just keeping possession and letting them right. get back. Right. Um, so I wonder, it's just sort of a difficult position because, it again, it's like Jose Enrique was fine if the team was maxing out its potential and winning everything. Luis Enrique was fine too. Jose Enrique. Oh, my God. I mean. Jose Enrique, <laughs> let's, let's never speak that name ever again. <laughs> Luis Enrique, you know, he was fine when he was doing this, but achieving winning everything yeah. and now it wasn't his it wasn't really him when he won everything and now it's him when he's losing everything and that's just that's just the way it goes yeah there. exactly and it's sort of it's sort of representative of the larger issue with the club where it's like everything is fine as long as they're winning but now that they've lost you realize that like oh there's the youth pipeline is drying up mm-hmm. the last like 10 players we've bought like Andre Gomez he was basically invisible yesterday like the last our transfer market has like been super poor recently and our guys are getting older so like you can paper over all of that when you're still winning right Mm -hmm. but when you don't win then all of this other stuff deserves to be questioned we're gonna get to our jordan morris interview but really quickly before we get to that i did want to ask you a little bit about dortmund who also lost to benfica and uh pulled uh, Obamayang off the field, I think it's like 60 minutes, because of bad body language. And you were telling me a couple of days ago, we were having this conversation about how like advanced stats Twitter was sort of saying, more or less, like, what is the point of Dortmund? Like, if yeah. you're just going to keep buying 18-year-olds and probably lose them as they enter their peak, yeah. what, how, how sustainable is that? And I guess this is the flip side. Like, Dortmund is a beloved, beloved team, yeah. like among neutrals and above obviously their fans, clearly. But just over the last few years, through Klopp and Tuchel and like the t- the players that have come through there and the style of football, and then like when you can see the atmosphere at their stadium, it's incredible. But you were kind of t- talking a little bit about, um, and this is an identity thing too, what happens when you turn from a club into a little bit more of a conveyor belt. Yeah, exactly. And I mean... That's the thing. We don't have to get into a discussion about capitalism, but like the team is a business also. So there is that that argument. But it's like, do we ever look at Borussia Dortmund after a summer and be like, oh shit, this team is going for it this year? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's always, okay, this is smart business. They got rid of Gundogan, who, you know, is an injury risk. You pick up this much money for a guy later in his career and you replace him with these like 17 young guys who you're going to hit on three of them and you're going to cycle them through again Christian, and it's just like Guerrero, yeah it's yeah. like this is smart business is how we talk about it but we never talk about it like oh like they're actually going for it this year they're right. taking their chance which why not like what what's the point then because i feel i feel like by taking this approach it's like you sort of shield yourself from any criticism in a way kind right. of it's like oh, we're not Bayern Munich, so we're running our team this way, and like we have these young guys, so we're we're not going to compete with them at right. the and end of the day. I, so I, it's like, what, I think that this is what's beyond the point that, of it all? though, right? Because they're, they've actually had enough of a hiccup for a while here Yeah, that they're in fourth, I think, in the Bundesliga. Um, and, you know, I... I they had they had such financial problems at the beginning part of this century that I think I understand why they're probably a little bit prudent financially. And look, like... Do they win a cup or two or a league or two in the last two or three years if they keep Lewandowski? Possibly. I mean, he is. He's he, yeah, I mean, like yeah, I, one, I think so. he's not on Bayern Munich, yeah, which right. is part of the part of the issue. Right. Um, 
And yeah, I think you, when we were talking about it the other day, you were like, you know, you kind of keep the churn going and hope you hit one year where Bayern's down and you make a jump. But at the same time, you're going to have that downturn of luck too yeah. at times. So well, this then is, it's I like, think what? they are having a slightly, slightly different thing that Arsenal's going through now. Where Arsenal yeah. had that Fabregas, Van Persie team that was really close, right? Yeah. Uh, I think especially they looked like they were going to win the title that year that Ramsey got his leg broken. And, ne- and then they kind of cycled out of that and then brought in a couple of other players who slightly more expensive than they used to but used to buy it. and they're an example of what happens maybe when you do change your your team building structure a little bit because yeah. i think that people thought well arsenal is going to have a bunch of like homegrown talent that they hang on to and then like basically an entire generation of that team was moved out yeah so it's like do you it's again it's sort of goes to the thing i was saying about wenger before it's like if you're Dortmund, do you take a shot for a year or two knowing that if it doesn't pay out you maybe fall a yeah. little farther than you want for another but maybe two with Dortmund the, t- the taking a shot is also you institute a different playing style because the playing style that they've gone after the last couple of years with the end of Klopp and even with Tuchel is like they it has its drawbacks it, and you do run into players player exhaustion yeah it, it does and it's it seems like it's it also seems like a thing that it's not easy to just plug guys into yeah. year after year. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think he's a very good coach. Me too, um, yeah. But... And he's good too because he doesn't wear jeans like a lot of other Bundesliga managers. Great <laughs> hand signals, yeah. great track suits, yeah. no jeans. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's more, you know, they're, they're still one of the, what, top eight clubs in Europe still. So like, again, it's how wide your telescope is they, right. when you're looking at this but like it does sort of get back to the question of like what what's the point when you're that close this is a very existential pod today let's uh, go to our interview with Jordan Morris Jordan's a forward with Seattle Sounders he's also on the United States men's national team he, uh, he even had a trial a couple years ago at Werder Bremen in the Bundesliga and Jordan is here courtesy of Capital One and it's Banking Reimagined Tour they are going around the country to help people improve their relationship with money and for details on this innovative and fun tour you can go to bankingreimagined.capitalone.com and let's get to our interview with Jordan Jordan, thank you for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome. No worries. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Jordan, we wanted to ask you a couple of different kinds of questions today. We've been talking a lot recently about, um, you know, basically the deve- like the development process for players in the States versus in Europe. And you're somebody who has like a really specific understanding of that. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things we talk about sometimes is how the U.S., has just a unique development system compared to Europe and the rest of the world and you, you know, went to Stanford. But if you, you know, if you grew up in Europe, you know, you probably would have been in an academy from, you know, age 10 on and been playing with whatever club you were in from that age every day. Um, do you ever think about that? Do you wonder what it would have been like if you grew up in Europe? And do you, do you worry, I guess, as someone who played in college, if sort of college still has a place in the, uh, development system in the u.s yeah i mean i definitely you know think about that uh, a little bit they um i think they're trying to emulate that a little bit obviously with the the academy team um you know with the mls mls franchises and and stuff like that but for me i 
I think that it was important to, to go to college. I wasn't. Um, I think it's different for every every player, uh, definitely based on your personality, stuff like that. But but for me, I think I developed a ton in college, not only as a player, but as a person. I gained more confidence, definitely matured. And, and I wasn't ready at 18 to jump into a professional environment yet. So um, for me, as a, as a person, again, it's different for every person. But for me, it was important to uh, to go to college. So you did spend some time with over at Bremen in the Bundesliga, like as a sort of on a trial basis. What was the sort of one big takeaway you had from just even your brief experience over there? Like, what is it? Was there anything different about like the way things worked there versus say on the Sounders? Um, not a you know a, a whole lot different. There was, um, you know, it was obviously a very cool experience to go over there, and never thought I'd be training with a Bundesliga team, so that was exciting and getting to experience the culture and, and stuff like that. Obviously, it's a little different. A lot of a lot of people speaking German, so um, <laughs> big, big difference there. And uh, But no, it was a, a cool experience, and, and I think it was definitely beneficial for me to see that level and, and see, um, you know, if I thought it would be the right decision to jump over there and, and in the end decided that it, it wasn't and that I would – for me, it would would be best to go back to Seattle, and I'm very, very happy with that decision. But it was it was a very cool experience, definitely, to go over and train with them. Did you pick up any like conversational German enough to say like that was a foul <laughs> or that's a card? <laughs> not really, no, not really. I, I picked up some, some probably some curse words, stuff like that, but nothing, uh, nothing too, um, too in depth. Do you? Um, is it a goal of yours to eventually go over there at some point? Yeah, I mean, I guess you never know what the the future holds. Right now, of course, I'm very happy in, in Seattle and, and love it here, and um, totally focused on trying to win another championship here. But um, would never rule that out completely. Saying I, I never want to go over there, it would be a very cool experience to someday play in, in Europe. But um, right now, very happy with the situation I'm in. Um, I guess you know, as, as you as you look forward um in your career and if you're if you're you know ever going to move on from the sounders um like looking at destinations for yourself do you do you feel the sort of playing style that uh the coach you're playing for um espouses do you do you feel like that's important to you that your your playing style sort of fits into what um the coach you're playing for believes in yeah i mean i think that's that's very important obviously as a you know, my playing style is a lot of trying to get in behind, um, looking to stretch the opponent. So if someone, you know, is looking for a big hold up forward, that's that's probably that's definitely something I need to keep keep working on. So mm-hmm. I think finding the right fit with that is is of of course important, and finding a coach that that believes in you. But I think that's a difficult part sometimes, as you don't know that until you make the jump, and then maybe things don't always always work out. But I think that's definitely an important tool to, to talk to the coach beforehand and see um, see what they're thinking. I was always wondering about guys like you who obviously like you're, you're, you excel at the timing of your runs. I mean, like you're like the, a lot of like you get these goals that are just like, oh, he was just like in the perfect place at the perfect time. And and especially like you're talking about, like stretching the defense and slipping into these channels behind. Is there particular drills that you run or is it like more of a feel thing to time out like beating an offside trap or, or, or knowing when to like start an accelerated run past a, a defender to get get that the ball, the through ball? Is that something you work on uh, one-on-one or is that something that you, you find is 
like been trained into you by coaches over your career? Yeah, they, I mean, there's definitely some drills you can work on. You know, you do patterns to goals, stuff like that. But it's definitely, I think, a, a feel thing. Um, and or more importantly, it's a chemistry thing that you have with with your teammates. I know Nico Ladero um, came to our team halfway through the year, and right away we kind of had this chemistry. He told me from the the first game he got here. I remember we were walking in at halftime. He was like, Jordan, every time I get the ball, just run and I'll find you. And so we kind of had this this connection where it was like, okay, when he gets the ball, I know he's going to turn inside, look for this pass, and then I'll try and make the run and be there. It's just kind of that, that chemistry and that feel you have with your teammates. The other thing, you know, uh, it's become like, I guess, the the in vogue tactical trend of the past five or 10 years is all of these teams that focus on pressing. And I know, you know, when you know, as as a forward, you know your your job is to score goals, and that's the more goals you score, the more more valuable you are to your team. But do you do you feel like the defensive side of your game is something that you you know actively work on and try to get better at? And sort of how do you do that? Definitely. I mean, I think that that's that's very important. When we were in with in camp um, this last month with the with the national team, that's one of the big focuses that we were we were going through is, is how to press as a team and as a forward you're kind of the first line of of defense you have to um try and force the ball on one side of the field and, and really try and keep the team pinned in as, as best you can so as as you get older it's it's funny when you're younger obviously it's all about scoring goals stuff like that but as you get older and if you have people that really notice and, and watch the game and understand the game the defensive side of the ball is is uh, is really important. So both with the Sounders and with the national team, pressing is a, is a big deal and um, something that you got to keep working on as a as a team because it takes all you know ten field players to to do that. Have you noticed just in your career playing the shift where it seems like more and more teams are using uh, pressing, like uh, you know that that kind of furious pressing and that frenzied like hounding of the ball. Uh, on on the back lines that's now so in vogue in Europe. Definitely, yeah, you can you can see that, and um, it, it's definitely a shift in the game. I feel like we were watching film the other day, and and you were just watching other teams press, and like Chile, we were watching them uh, how they press, and it's it's pretty how hard those guys work defensively, and that's what makes them, I think, such a good team. So. What do you think is going to be the yeah like like what's the most effective like counter to that? Do you think it's like maybe embracing some version of long ball and like getting it out of there faster, or do you think that you, people are just teams are just going to have to become more and more accustomed to playing under that kind of pressure? I mean, I think it depends on, on the game. I think definitely using the long ball to your advantage if you're getting stuck in your end and you can't get it out, play it up the field and look to pin pin them in. You know, keep the ball in their half and. Um, trying to establish some some pressure in their side of the field so i think it depends on the game and depends if it's working you know if it's working and you're playing out and you can break through their pressure then you're going to find a lot of open space but if it's not and they're doing a good job um typically the long ball could be a, a decent option you mentioned uh training this with the national team and you know you guys have you know have an, another manager bruce arena um so you've played under two national team managers and specifically when it comes to training i wonder you know we've we've heard these stories about how intense training was under Klinsman about you know making guys go on these long runs with empty stomachs like well, what what's the biggest difference at least in training been between uh Klinsman to arena um 
I don't know. I mean, I th- that's a good question. Honestly, they're both pretty pretty intense. Both w- work you hard and um, get your your heart rate your heart rate up. Trying to get the fitness going. Bruce's sessions are are definitely very, you know, they're they're a little bit shorter, I think, and, and compact. But you get a lot of work in and um, definitely feel the effects afterwards because it's a it's a tough training. So um, I guess that's a, a pretty pretty big difference. One of the things that Ryan and I were talking about at the beginning of the Premier League season was just about how um, the league there was probably going to be decided by a, a manager because you had a lot of talent in these top six teams, I mean, some better than others. But, you know, obviously we're seeing Chelsea pull away, and it, a lot of that has to do with Conte kind of installing this three-at-the-back system. And I was kind of curious as a guy who's played under, in different circumstances, um, if you could talk a little bit about what a manager actually can do because I think when we write about it, when we talk about it, we talk so much about like a Ferguson or a Bruce Arena or a Klinsman, and we act like they're almost like playing the video game, you know, of the of of, of a match. But you guys are yeah. the ones who are actually executing these plans. Um, you know, the more specific version of this question is: Can you remember a time specifically when you've been playing when a manager has made a tactical shift where you're like, "Holy crap!" Like that saved us. I think the biggest example for me is my college coach, um, played at Stanford and coach Gunn, uh, came in and just completely turned the program around. I mean, he used the same, a lot of the same players, but just was able to inspire them in a way to get the most out of them. And then he installed his system and was just like, look, we're going to do things my way. You might not like it, but, um, it's going to work and we're going to win games because of it. And that was like, the first time where I really saw how like you know I had a lot of good coaches but where a switch in a coach and a switch in a mentality could make such a big difference um, on the field I mean he's gone on in four years to five years now maybe to win two national championships and it's uh, he's been very very successful so for me that was pretty uh, pretty powerful to see how big of a difference he could make yeah I think like Chris said when we talk about this um you know, we're we're obviously talking about it on a like game to game, in game basis. But would you say that you know the the effect that a manager has on a team isn't you know it's not the, necessarily the starting eleven he's picking or the orders he's um, giving out from the sideline. It's sort of what you guys are doing in training and sort of what what he's developing, um, like the patterns he's developing in the team. Yeah, hundred percent. I think. You know, coaches can make little shifts on game day, stuff like that, depending on how the game's going. But, and that's definitely a mark of a good good coach. But it all happens at training. All happens behind the scene where they get their identity, get their mentality instilled in the team, what they want to see, and then of course it's up to the players on game day to to uh, to make it happen. But most of that's done where the coach does that in in, in training and, and really um, gets the players all on the same page. You know, I think for most casual fans or even informed fans, like we have a tendency when we're watching a game on television to ball watch. So we're, you know, we're we're obviously going to just track the ball and see whoever has it, um, and that's part of the reason why attacking players are so popular. But as a player, I was kind of curious when you're watching a game on TV or live, do you tend to focus on the shape of a team? Is there? Do you watch guys who play your position? Do you watch guys that are defending your position? Uh, how do you watch? the the sport or do you just watch it as a casual fan i i think i do a little both i watch as a casual fan but i also definitely try and watch guys who play my position and they're you know the 
the poachers in the box who, who make these movements or don't make these movements um, and how they get so wide open in, in the box to finish off these plays, you know. So for me as a forward, that's always part of my game. What I'm trying to get better at is, is, is my finishing and, and in the box kind of being more of a, a poacher. So I look at, you know, the Chicharito, Suarez, their movement and, and what they do to get open and, and make space for themselves and, of course, their, the finishing touch they put on it. But um, I definitely like to watch guys like that to see how I can improve my game. Yeah, I remember one of my coaches always used to show us um, videos of Filippo and Zaghi, and it was just like a 10-minute yeah. clip of him tapping the ball into yeah. an empty net. But it, it is like <laughs> yeah. a thing like, you know, people watch you and they, you know, see you blowing by defenders and taking guys on and dribbling by guys, and that's that's all, like, awesome. But, like, ultimately, like, so much of it is just, like, seeing when a guy shoots and then you know just running at the goalie in case he gives up a rebound you know exactly exactly yeah definitely all little little things that you can learn that um can help you because no one really cares how you score goals as long as you do it you know i have to ask you i was watching like a a montage of some of your goals and there's like one or two instances where like you you're you're going in full speed and you must see that it's like a head-on collision coming with the keeper and i wonder like when you're doing that are you like oh man i'm gonna totally like clatter into this guy or are you just like i don't care what happens i'm going straight for the ball and whatever happens happens yeah it all happens so fast and i just kind of have my eye on the ball so um definitely just kind of whatever happens happens and usually it's not not too bad have you been uh, any teams out there right now in, in MLS or in Europe that you've been especially fond of watching these last couple of months? Um, you know, obviously I've been watching Chelsea. They've been doing so well. So I watch the review show. Or I try to watch the Premier League review show every week, and it's it's fun to watch them and how they play in their new system and stuff like that. So um, they've obviously been killing it. It's been, been pretty cool. Um, are there any, like, you know, managers that or teams that when you see them play, sort of like what we talked about earlier, teams in Europe, um, where you see them play and you're like, man, like if I, you know, if I got a chance to play in that that system, um, I would be awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean, none that I can think of. There's obviously players mm-hmm. where I'd be like, you know, if I could play with them, yeah. they can. Are, are so good and finding those little balls and stuff like that it'd be fun to play with those guys but um, no team really comes to mind I guess I think you I think you would enjoy playing with Zlatan I was thinking about that uh, yeah, <laughs> he'd be good. just yeah. have him knock it down you just like just punch Probably. it in and then he'd give you like the most amazing yeah. celebration you know but if you f- yeah, if you awesome. if you <laughs> fucked up any chances he would not let you live it yeah, down for the rest of your life um, Jordan man thank you so much for joining us we'll let you go now yeah no worries thanks for having me guys and thanks for listening we'll be back with you guys shortly 